Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and we are joined by a very special guest today, someone who I actually tried to get him on the show a few weeks back for another blockbuster movie that had come out, and we're finally getting him on now. Uh, He is a writer for Bloody Disgusting, One Perfect Shot, and Reject Nation. He also runs the Mission Hill TV Twitter account and is a fellow lover of Suns basketball. Mr. Chris Koffel, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Gerald. Uh, thanks for well, one quick uh, at Reject Nation. It's actually Film School Rejects is the website. Reject Nation is just the Twitter handle. So okay, very good. Important distinction there, folks. In case you want to, <laughs> in case you hear what we have to say about Mortal Kombat and want to follow Chris later <laughs> and all of his work. But uh, glad we're able to have you on the show. Um, we are going to be talking about today's or I guess yesterday's by the time this is released game against the Nets for the Suns we're going to talk a little bit about playoff expectations for this team and then we're going to dive into Mortal Kombat which is where Chris's expertise is going to take over for us. Um, Chris before we get started I was just curious about this and I always like to ask people that I have on the show um, how did you get started becoming a Suns fan like where did your fandom begin? Um, well, I, I grew up in Phoenix, um, so I have oh, vague good. memories of uh, watching the Sons of like like the Tom Chambers, Dan Marley era, but I was really, really little. Um, mm-hmm. But I was six when the team got Charles Barkley. And okay. um, like for anyone who didn't uh, live in Phoenix during that time, uh, there was like nothing bigger uh, mm-hmm. in the world uh, in Phoenix than Charles Barkley and the Sons. Uh, so then I've just been following them ever since um and and you're in portland now right correct yeah yeah i've been here for eight years now which is crazy okay very cool so i'm assuming you've i mean this whole time you've even leaving phoenix you've still kept up with the team and everything being an active member of some son's twitter and whatnot uh yep i've been using uh, nba's shoddy product to follow (laughs) the suns uh even when they were really really bad and only winning 19 games uh, I've You've, still watched every game I don't think I've missed a game in the last 15 years maybe oh man okay so we got a we got a diehard fan for those of you who are not familiar with Chris I'm assuming most of you listening would be by now but uh, this is a very exciting time for the Suns and I'm you know I, I always have to tell people that I'm not a Suns fan but I do enjoy seeing them do well because It's fun not covering a shitty team all the time, which is pretty much all I've known covering this team. Um, But this has been a remarkable one-year turnaround, obviously. Very exciting time for Suns fans. Uh, But with every loss, and there's only been 18 of them this year, it seems like the sky is falling on Suns Twitter a little bit. And today's loss against the Nets was no different. Um... It was weird hearing it called the potential finals preview, but uh, the Nets were just on a different level with KD and Kyrie both going off. KD returned today, and uh, it was the Suns' first back-to-back losses since January 27th. Chris, what were your reactions to this game? It, was it uh, was it cause for panic a little bit as far as seeing how they stack up against a legitimate contender, or is this just kind of they're on a tough road trip and the Nets are really good? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Nets are really, really good. Um, yeah, there's, I don't think there's any reason to panic. Um, yeah, obviously the Nets didn't have James Harden, but uh, the Suns were also missing two of their top seven rotation pieces, even though, you know, Dario's been missing a little bit longer. Um, it's, you know, still a key, key piece of the rotation. So I, I, I'm not concerned at all. I'm glad you brought up their reactions because two things really stuck out to me that in the last two losses that I've seen on reactions on Twitter. Um, one, when they lost to the Celtics, I saw uh, a few people comments on, we're just so bad on the second half of back-to-backs. 
which I I might be wrong, but I think the Suns have the best record on the second half of back to back. They do. They um, they were ten and three before that loss, and then even going to ten and four with the Celtics loss, still the best record on back to backs. Yeah, so so pretty good. And then I saw a couple people say today, like the loss to the Nets, it, it just proof the Suns can't hang with the top teams, uh, mm-hmm. which is also inaccurate <laughs> based on what they've done all year. So it's it's pretty insane, and it's it's really bizarre because I would imagine, you know, there's a, there's a handful of people that I see regularly interact on Twitter that have been around for like the 10, 11 years that I've been there on Twitter. So I know they're a little bit older and they were there when the team was winning. I assume a lot of the people now that I see following are younger. And it's weird to me to see them panicking so much when this is the first time they've seen a good basketball team. <laughs> I, I think that might be part of it, honestly. I, I think even the younger fans are obviously aware of the team's or the organization's prestigious history and, and the glory days that came before. Um, but even as recently as Steve Nash might be just a little bit before their time um, for some of these fans. And, and some, I just think, I think it might be that it's been so long since the Suns have been good that this is like vaguely new territory again. <laughs> it's like welcoming an old friend that you haven't seen in 10 years. Um, and it's, it's weird to see the reactions after every win, the Suns are going to win the championship. And after every loss, they're going to be a first round exit. Yeah. Um, it's bizarre to me. I, I'm curious about your expectations for the team. And we're going to get into this for sure. But, you know, as a Suns fan who's seen this team in its peak and its glory days, you've seen the Barkley days, you've seen the Steve Nash days. Now you're seeing this team with this rapid turnaround. I mean, do you, what are your kind of, playoff expectations for this squad uh so i'll start by saying that i'm generally pretty positive on the team so mm-hmm. keep hey, that fair. in mind <laughs> um but so my my expectations coming into the season was to simply make the playoffs right i, I didn't expect like some people were saying the suns would be a playing team i was pretty confident they were going to be a top six team mm. um but i didn't really if they went around or not it didn't really matter uh, at this point, though, I, I expect them, I, I don't think there's any first round matchup they can get um, that would cause me worry, except for the one possibility that's kind of creeping up that they could fall to the three seed and the Lakers could fall to the six seed. Mm-hmm. That would be the one scenario. Um, but right now, the way I see it, there's I think there's really only three teams that I would feel uh, I would give the edge to. I mean, the entire NBA, if the Suns played in the series, and that would be the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Nets. Anyone else, I would feel pretty good and think the Suns would have a a 50-50 shot against most teams, I think. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. I I had to ask because it's it's an interesting question, both from a fan perspective and from, you know, more of just a straightforward basketball analyst perspective. Because on the fan side, obviously, people have been waiting for this team to be a playoff contender and they've kind of, you know, based on what we've seen so far, most teams have to go through a process, especially when so many of their core guys are younger guys. You know, we've, we've seen so many young teams that have had to, you know, first round exit, second round exit, work their way up the ladder. Um, We obviously don't know what the Suns are going to do or not do in the playoffs, but you know, they look like a genuine title contender despite the fact that four of their top seven guys have never played in a postseason game before. So that's where the basketball side for me comes in because it's interesting. I, I don't know what to expect from this team because I think if they play the way that they have to this point and they don't let the bright lights get to them, they could very much compete with anyone. Like, like you were saying, those are the only three teams that I would pick over the Suns in a seven-game series if they play the way that they have all year long. Um, I think there is something to be said about that level of inexperience. It's very rare that teams with, you know, such young guys, such inexperienced guys make it all the way to the finals, let alone win the finals. Um, but it is interesting seeing the different responses to what to expect from the squad. Cause after today's loss, I was seeing things like, oh, they're going to lose in the first round. Like Portland scares me. Dallas scares me. Those teams don't scare me at all. <laughs> like Not, not even the slightest bit, I don't think. Like, you know, Portland could maybe take a series of six, I think. Just, mm-hmm. I think Dame's that good. 
and they have enough like their defense is horrendous i, I don't know if i've ever yeah. seen portland's the team i watch the second most because i'm in portland right um and i don't think i've ever seen a defense like from a playoff team be that bad mm-hmm. uh, i mean i think i think Cantor and like Melo have to play like 20 minutes a game together that's insane <laughs> um but I, I wouldn't be concerned with them at all. And then Dallas, it's Luca and a bunch of pieces that I have no faith in. So yeah. it's yeah. it's it's very much it would take a situation where all four of the Suns youngsters just like completely shit the bed and Dame averages like 40. McCollum goes for like 25 a night. That's the only way because like you said, Portland's deep, I think they're 29th. They might be 30th at this rate with how bad they've been lately, but they're terrible on the defensive side of the ball. And, and Dallas, I mean, Luca, Luca and Dame both scare me on an individual level because in a playoff series, you have to have, you know, superstars making plays. Yeah. But, you know, they don't have a lot else. The Suns are just a more complete team. They're a deeper team, better. I, I just <laughs> – neither one of those teams really scares me. The, the Lakers matchup, that would be – that would be the most Suns thing ever is if that first round matchup somehow came to be and they get a fully healthy Lakers squad in the first round. Um, I am curious though, which of the two, like Portland and Dallas seem like the most likely, I think LeBron comes back next week. I think the Lakers will win enough games to stay in that five spot or climb to the four. Which of those two matchups would you prefer as a Suns fan, Dallas or Portland? So I thought about this a lot. Uh, part of me wants to say Portland just because uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Portland's going to be letting fans in because they haven't yet. So I could see them not still allowing fans even for the playoffs. Um, but one, if they do, that would be fun for me. I get, would get to go. Um, but then also, even if they don't allow fans in, uh, if, once the Suns beat them, uh, it would be fun to just walk around the city um, being obnoxious. <laughs> Uh, just to, to no one in particular, just anyone that sees me. Um, but then <laughs> Dallas, uh, it would just be fun to beat Dallas too. Like, uh, I, I know there's this, there's this thing where people there, I think there are people that think Suns fans hate Dallas just because of the Luca Ayton thing. Mm. Um, but I've hated, I've hated Dallas since like we played them with <laughs> Nash and Dirk like in the playoffs. So I think it's always just fun to beat them and, uh, Mark Hop- Mark Cuban's very obnoxious, so it would be fun. Uh, that would be the most chaotic, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, so, and I think I think Dallas would be the easier team. Like, I think Dame and Luca are pretty close right now. I would give the edge to Dame. I think he's a little bit better at this moment, and he's done it in the playoffs before. Mm. Uh, and I think he's got, even though their defense is horrendous, you know, guys like CJ and and Powell, I trust them a lot more than you know. Dorian Finney and Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. So yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. I it would be very cool if you got to go to a, a Suns playoff game for the first time in 11 years. That would be neat. Um you'd you'd have to recreate the Vivian Lakers Twitter photo from somewhere up in the <laughs> in the second deck though, if you were gonna go. Um but yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. I think Portland scares me a little bit more just because a Dame is, you know, we've seen him take over playoff series before we've seen him hit shots to end playoff series before. Uh, and CJ McCollum too, he's capable of elevating his game in a playoff series. I think the Mavs have Luca and Luca showed last year in his first postseason that he's going to be really good. He's going to be a force when the games matter for them for years, but uh, nobody else on that roster really scares me. So I'm with you on the Dallas thing. And the good news is, you know, the Clippers are coming for that number two seed. So there would be a silver lining if the Suns fall to third. Right now, the Mavs are in that sixth spot and the Blazers are just totally imploding right now. So um, that could be a silver lining if this road trip or this upcoming stretch, which is brutal for the Suns, doesn't pan out in their favor as far as holding on to that two seed. There is a silver lining there. Um, I, I think my next question would be if the Suns make, you know, the Suns make it past the first round, they go on to the second round Western conference finals, which of the LA teams concerns you more? And it's a tough question to ask because obviously the Lakers aren't at full strength and we don't know what they're going to look like by the time the playoffs come around. But, you know, assuming they're 
85, 90% of what they normally are. Would you rather face the Clippers or the Lakers deeper in the playoffs? I think the Clippers. Um, yeah. I think I think if you were going to face the Lakers, you'd want it to maybe be that first round series where maybe you hope that they're not quite back fully healthy and haven't had enough time to gel yet. And that's maybe your chance to catch them by surprise. Uh, but I think the deeper into the playoffs, they're going to be better. And I know that Paul George has been awesome this year, uh, but he wasn't so great in the playoffs last year. So I, I no. would, <laughs> I would count on LeBron being better than Paul George and that's how I would make the decision basically. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair assumption to make. Um, I, I think, I think I'm with you on that. I think the Clippers are a bad matchup for the Suns, but there is that one X factor that you were talking about as far as Paul George is concerned, because he decimated the Suns in their two meetings. You know, he averaged like 36 yeah. points. He shot like 63% made like 14 of 19 threes or something stupid like that in their two meetings. But until he does it in the playoffs, I don't know if I'm ready to believe that that's Paul George. And he's been terrific all season long. Like, he's been really good. I just need to see him do it in a postseason to believe it first. Yeah, and there's also Clippers, there's a, a greater opportunity that you can get in their head, I think, still. Like, mm -hmm. not so much Paul George or, like, Kawhi, but, like, they have guys like Rondo and Beverly and guys that, like, Chris Paul could mess with. The, same time they could mess with Chris Paul. I think <laughs> yeah. uh, in today's game against the the Nets, you could see Chris Paul was uh, Kyrie definitely got to him a little bit mm -hmm. late in the game, and he was like giving him little shoves and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know if the if the Lakers really have anybody like that um, shooter. Maybe I guess could be that or Harrell. I guess would be the, the one that could do something stupid uh, that could hurt the team. But yeah, I just think as awesome as the Clippers have been this year, as, as much as Paul George has destroyed the Suns this season, <laughs> uh, I, I'd still rather take my chances with that than LeBron. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's important that with the Clippers, they are like Beverly is not back yet. He's still got that, I think it was a fractured hand. Um, and he's going to yeah. be he's going to be returning like either right before the playoffs or maybe even in the first round. By the time he's back and he's been low-key very important for them they're a much better team when he's on the floor um and Serge Ibaka's missed a lot of time this year too so not a lot of time for them to kind of develop that continuity that a team like the Suns has been able to do sometimes it doesn't matter if you have you know Kawhi Leonard and Paul George but um I'm I'm, I'm excited for this team because I I feel like I saw someone say that the Suns ceiling is a is a first round exit or I'm sorry, second round appearance. And I don't, a ceiling though. That's not a ceiling. That's like, I feel like that should be the floor. Um, I, I don't know though. I, like you were saying, I think there's only three teams that I would pick in a seven game series over the suns at full strength. And we don't know who's going to be at full strength just because of the nature of this season. But what as a suns fan, bearing in mind that this is their first time in the playoffs in 11 years, like heading into the season, your expectations and mine were pretty much just make the playoffs. I thought they would be like the five or the six seed in the West probably. Um, but now they're looking like legitimate title contenders. So everybody's expectations shoot to the roof. What would constitute a good season for you? Like what, how far does this team need to make it for you to be okay with, you know, their whole year. Yeah. I think at this point, just the second round, like if they get to the yeah. second round, to me, that's going to be a very successful season, uh, regardless of the outcome that, you know, even if they went out in the first round, it would still be pretty positive given how the last 10 years <laughs> have been. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think second round, because the, there's almost no scenario where the second round matchup isn't going to be an LA team. I don't think. Yeah, with where they're at right now, unless they fell to the four seed or something and the Jazz kept the one seed, um, <laughs> then, you know, then you'd be looking at Utah in the second round and things would look different. But at this point, I think they're going to have to place, they're going to have to face an LA team in the second round. So second round to me, if they get, if they make it to the second round, I won't be disappointed. 
but I do think that's their, I think that's their floor basically. Um, their yeah. ceiling is the NBA championship. I don't, I agree. I don't see how more people aren't saying that. That's why you mentioned it. I think up top, it was really odd and weird to hear multiple times during the broadcast on ESPN. They kept saying this is the possible finals preview. <laughs> right. I think that's the first time I've really heard it. Like just someone flat out say it like that, the way they said it today. So uh, that was nice to hear. And I, I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. I, I don't think this brutal road trip where they're playing, you know, five of the six or seven best teams in the East um, should have fans doubting this team or their ability, especially because, you know, everyone was panicking after the Celtics game. That was the second night of a back-to-back on the road against a team that, you know, should be better than their record. Um, and Kemba Walker, you know, he went off. Um and I think we're seeing guys hit a, a little bit of a wall, but in the playoffs, you're not going to have to worry about back-to-backs. You're not going to worry about that much traveling. Um, and you're going to be able to have time to plan for your opponents, which I think if you look at how good the Suns have been against the top teams in the NBA this season, when they've prepared for a specific opponent, the results have usually been pretty good. I, I think this is a team that is very much ready for the regular season to be over, not just because of, where they're sitting in the standings, but because, you know, we saw it time and time again when they played all those crappy opponents and kept letting them back in games. Like they, they just, they, they need challenges. They need like stimulation. They need a reason to get up for some of these games. And, you know, a, a team like the wizards in February or March is not really going to do that. Yeah. Um, so I am excited for this team. I, I think a championship is definitely their ceiling. Will they get there? I don't know. But I, I feel like if they make it to the second round, that is definitely their floor, and that's a successful season, especially when we bear in mind our expectations coming into the year. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting with both the Celtics and the Nets' losses, um, I don't think they really played that terribly. Like, they missed a lot of mm. open shots. Um, mm. And, like, both Kemba went off. Uh, and Kemba's not been really that good this year uh, compared to Kemba in the past. But of course, he he was in uh, rare form on Wednesday. Yep. Uh, and the same thing, like Kyrie and Durant just did not miss in the Nets mm-hmm. game. Like they weren't just getting op- like entirely open looks. They were just hitting everything. So that happens mm-hmm. sometimes. You just move on, you know. Yeah, I, d- I don't think anyone was expecting KD to drop like 33 points in 28 minutes off the bench. Like he wasn't even supposed to play around 30 minutes in this game, but he was just feeling it, you know, <laughs> so they wrote him. Yeah. And Doris Burke pr- pointed this out, I think. Uh, that's actually really smart the way Nash uh, did that. It's like didn't play him. I don't think he played in the first quarter. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, I just don't play in the first 12 minutes. And then I can just play him the rest of the game if he's playing well. <laughs> yeah. It no, worked he- out. He, he pretty much nailed it, and Kyrie was sensational in that first quarter, so that pretty much bridged the gap until he could get in there. But I'm glad you mentioned the three-point shooting for the Suns because that's been kind of off a little bit lately. Um, so overall in the season, just for a couple numbers for context, overall in the season, the Suns are 10th in three-point percentage. It's dipped a little bit lately, um, but they're still shooting 37.3% from three. Um, the key here thing for me Um, And I brought this up a long time ago near the start of the season when you're looking for things to keep an eye on um, because the Suns difference in three point percentage uh, in their wins versus their losses was like night and day. Like obviously teams percentages are going to be a little bit higher in wins for the most part. Um, But the Suns were like the biggest gap between those two percentages. So at this point in wins, the Suns are shooting just under 40% in their wins, which is, only 15th in the NBA and in losses, they're shooting 31.9%, which is 27th. Only the Pelicans, the Rockets and the Cavs are worse. So there's a difference of about eight percentage points there in wins versus losses. And like I said, there's going to be a difference there, but um, it feels like maybe this is just me, but it feels like the Suns are, have been missing a lot of open ones lately. Uh, No, I agree. It it seems like they're getting good looks. Um, yeah, but they have they have so many guys that are just that run hot or cold. I think like Javon Carter, like tonight was not Javon Carter's night. He no. had plenty of looks and they just didn't fall down. They were no different than the looks, you know, he's had 
in this past little stretch where he's been playing better. So, um, yeah, I just feel like they're missing open shots. And I think one thing that I would like to see a little bit more when they are missing shots, uh, when the other guys are missing shots, and I don't think he's he's done enough, is I would like to see Chris Paul be a little more aggressive with his shot. Uh, he started to in this game, but it was a little too, like, was at that point it was like, the game was kind of done and I think he was just trying to be more aggressive because Blake was guarding him uh, yeah. not so much <laughs> to get the team going yeah. Um, but yeah it feels like they're missing so many open looks mm-hmm. and you know Monty talked about this after the Nets game as far as he he thought they didn't generate enough looks today I think they shot 35 of them um but yeah, over their last couple of games, okay, so they shot 12 for 34 against the Nets, which is about 35%. Uh, six for 35 against the Celtics, which was <laughs> awful. That was just, that was the most tired I've ever seen a team out of all the games I've watched this season. They were just like dead. Um, they shot 15 for 42 against the 76ers, which is like 35%. Uh, 17 for 42 against the Bucks, which is like almost 41%. So that was good. But on the season, so they're only shooting 35.3% on the threes that NBA.com classifies as open. Um, so not wide open, but open where the closest defender is four to six feet away. Um, and that's in the lower half of the league. The only teams that are lower than them are pretty much all of the bottom feeders. And then randomly the Los Angeles Lakers who have been missing their two best shot generators for you know, months now. (laughs) So it's not a great position for a team that, especially a team that's top 10 in three point percentage to just kind of not really be knocking down shots that are open. Maybe it's the ones where a guy's like running at somebody late or something like that. But I don't, it it is weird to see a team that's top 10 and three point percentage be near the bottom of the pack in this very handpicked statistic that I found. <laughs> yeah, well, it is really bizarre because they have like they have enough guys that I would think like if that guy's just shooting like in a gym, he's not missing, you know, with mm-hmm. guys like Cam Johnson. And I know he hasn't really been a good three-point shooter for his career, but even Devin Booker. But mm-hmm. I guess the positive spin you could put on that is I mean, maybe that explains why they've struggled against bad teams because they're probably getting more open looks against bad teams than not hitting them. <laughs> Whereas the good teams defend better, but for some odd reason, the Suns are better when they're better defended from three. I don't know, but I, I would, I, the way I'll spin it, it is in the playoffs, maybe they're not going to get a lot of open looks and that'll benefit them. Yeah. I mean, the mid range thing, having not just one, but two guys that can get their own shot from the mid range is pretty big. I, I do worry sometimes about when the Suns are not getting to the rim or getting to the free throw line, because that is something we've seen from this team. Um, that especially one that, you know, has guys like Javon Carter, like you said, Jay Crowder, guys that can go really hot or cold. Um, and, and it hasn't helped over the stretch that Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are pretty good three point shooters are like two for 24 in the last two games or something like that. Yeah. I do think the free throws are pretty important. I don't know what the the numbers end up being today, but I know, I think at halftime, the Suns had shot had taken shot had taken eight, uh, had taken eight free throws, and I think the Nets had taken sixteen. Um, yeah. I commented on this, but Mike James had four. Like, so if Mike James is shooting <laughs> half as many free throws as your entire team in one half, then something's not working right. Like, that shouldn't oh, yeah. be the case. That's the most like subtle Mike James revenge game that we could have <laughs> anticipated. Um, but I think that's going to do it for Suns Talk today. Now let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something good for your body. They start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its health benefits. Then they blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. 
So we're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Just go to earthechofoods.com slash minute media and enter the code MINUTE15. That's M-I-N-U-T-E-1-5. All right, so housekeeping out of the way. Now we're going to go into our G-rated segment, which I'm very excited about because I had been excited about this movie since the trailer first dropped. Um, we're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat on this segment. And Chris, I want to get your background on this because I know you are very big into film um, and obviously you write for a couple of movie blogs and stuff like that. Um, how did your interest in, in film and, and cinema start and um, how has it kind of developed over time? I guess just what's your background in this area? Um, well, I probably, if there's anything uh, that I've, I've loved longer than The Suns, it, it's movies. Okay. Um, I have a particular fondness um, for, for horror movies. Uh, a lot of uh, like low-grade type of stuff um, <laughs> that maybe uh, the, the average, uh, average person might not be too familiar with. Um, and I've just been watching them since I was a kid. Like my parents never cared what we watched uh, on TV. So there was no <laughs> restrictions. And it was kind of like the, uh, the, I don't know if it was necessarily the early days of cable, but it was like the VHS boom. And so like we had a huge VHS collection and we, you know, we went, uh, we rented movies all the time from video stores and my mom would just buy like whatever VHS tapes sh she would see anywhere. And so we had like all these like random horror movies. Um, and then there were shows like, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with, there was a show on USA called USA Up All Night. It okay. was uh, on Friday or Saturdays and they would play like three movies and they had okay. different hosts over the years. Gilbert Gottfried was the host uh -huh. for a while. Uh, Rhonda Shear is like the most, she was like the longest running one and they would show like a mix of, it would usually be like one or two horror movies and one like 80s teen comedy. Okay. Um, and so I just, you know, watched all that stuff as a kid and then just, I've just never stopped basically. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, now, related question, have you been a big video game guy slash played the Mortal Kombat games growing up, I'm assuming? Uh, yeah, so so I played video games a ton as a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, starting with, so when I was real little, we had Nintendo, but then like Super Nintendo, Sega, Genesis, mm. uh, PlayStation, like N64, GameCube, all the way up into, I had PS2 and I had the Wii and then I did not play games for a very long time until the pandemic hit yeah. <laughs> and then i got i i got a ps4 just before and i've been playing that like crazy and then i managed to get a ps5 and a switch and so now i've been now i'm getting back into nice. games uh -huh. and so it's like kind of like a like a 10-year gap basically like um i guess when the sun stopped making playoffs i stopped playing <laughs> video games and just holding out it's a wild experience to play video games for the first time. Like, they're way different. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they are Mortal Kombat has changed a lot. Oh, it has. It's, uh, so I actually, I'm, I played a lot of video games growing up, but I never really played the Mortal Kombat games very much. Uh, maybe like an arcade type stuff. But um, I, I also have a Switch. I've been just Team Nintendo the whole time because I, I don't, kind of like you i don't think i've really normally had much time for video games and then that really picked up over the last year with the pandemic um so i have mortal kombat on the switch and i just suck at it <laughs> like i am not good at it at all i i keep trying to like get into it but just the tutorials alone are daunting like there's so many different moves and each character has different moves um so it, it really amazes me the people that are insanely good at it i want to try to get into it but i have been playing a lot of it and um i'm familiar with like the characters and everything so um when we talk about this movie i felt like it was about as good a video game adaptation as you could make you know like in terms of the story in mortal kombat over the years has just been all over the place. It's been like bonkers. Like there's this whole outer world and there's this tournament. And if they win 10 tournaments in a row, they basically get to take over the earth. Like that's hard to put into a coherent plot on the screen. <laughs> but um, I guess just generally, what were your thoughts on the new Mortal Kombat 
especially as someone who uh, loves the original, <laughs> which is something we'll have to talk about as well. But what were your thoughts on the new one, first of all? Uh, yeah, I, I think you you kind of said it best. I think it nailed the video game adaptation the best way that you can. You know, um, so Mortal Kombat, the, the storyline, like through the years, so I, I did play it a time when I was a kid, those first few games, um, but then I didn't play for a long time. So I don't, I didn't, wasn't familiar with how the storyline might have changed over the years or what they added to and stuff. Cause initially like Mortal Kombat started, like the game itself was just like, sort of like a gory video game version of Enter the Dragon, where it's like, basically the only plot is it's just this martial arts tournament, right? There's right. not much, <laughs> there's not much to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in this, this movie, I thought it was really bold of them by the way uh they never get to mortal combat right <laughs> it never the happens movie, they never they never get to that point um in the film and it's really all of like uh, i've seen a lot of people comment that there isn't much of a story mm-hmm. um which is is kind of true but i would argue it's it's really no less of a story than your average superhero origin story like it's really just it's basically world building for Mm -hmm. i I think they're banking on future movies right um and so i thought i did a pretty great job with that like you don't you get enough background uh information on the characters you're fighting or if you're fighting the characters that we're seeing fight um and it did have a lot of really fun and clever nods to the game i thought Mm. with at least enough of the stuff that i had remembered from when i did play the game um which i really appreciate it like that the leg sweep thing. Yes. One of <laughs> I was the, dying. <laughs> one of the best things I've seen in the last, I, I don't know, last couple of years in a movie because, um, so when I was little, they used to have, uh, uh, so in Phoenix, there's this chain called Peter Piper Pizza, uh, which is fairly popular, but they have like a big arcade. And so when I was little, they used to do these lock-ins you could sign up for. Okay. So like kids would go there and so you spend the whole night there like you would be locked in you bring a sleeping bag but nobody slept because you had to play unlimited video games yeah. uh, all night and eat unlimited pizza oh yeah um and so you would like mortal Kombat and street fighter were like the two most popular games that everyone would want to play and so you'd wait in line and it was just basically like if you won you got to keep going mm. and i kept beating people just doing leg <laughs> sweeps and everyone was getting so angry and i'm like well you know you got to figure out you know beat oh, me then <laughs> stop my leg sweeps i'm your jumps oh so that that like directly spoke to your childhood then that's amazing um yeah i was i was absolutely dying when that part happened because <laughs> it was it was every mortal Kombat player's worst nightmare just trying to time the jump missing it and being like fuck like <laughs> it was so funny and kano's reaction was perfect to it he's like oh come yeah. on are you, like are we doing this <laughs> Oh God, that was great. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I feel like there were a lot of, and I think that's what, I think if you are a Mortal Kombat fan, you would appreciate the movie more than if you weren't because, I mean, obviously that's kind of like with any IP, but like this one in particular, there were a lot of nods to the video game. Like, you know, there's the obvious like get over here and there's, you know, flawless victory and stuff like that. But the the jumping thing, like the person that I was watching it with, um, like she had never played Mortal Kombat. So she had no idea why I was like practically crying <laughs> watching that part. Um, even like at the very end, the theme song, just bringing back that banger, a modified version of it. Like there were a lot of cool nods to the video game in this. And even when they're like training, um, well, I like it had, they had, they had to go through this training to like, I forget what they were calling it, but basically to like get their special powers. Oh, yeah. um, but when they started that, uh, one of the characters even said, like, we got to test your might. I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Which was great. And then at one point, you know, we mentioned they never get to the Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. But they do say, well, let's take them. They say some line, like, let's take the Mortal Kombat to them or whatever. Yeah. And uh, one of the, I think the Cole Young, like our, our main character, who my understanding, he's new to the Mortal Kombat world, I think. I think he's new for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um he asked Raiden, like, can you, can you like transport people anywhere you want? And he's like, yeah. And he like literally sends everyone to different levels from Mortal Kombat. Like, so yeah. now we can have like all these main, these ending battles and they're all references to different levels. 
yeah. um, to Mortal Kombat, which I thought was great. Like, yeah, it was it was it was very cool. Those not and like the fatalities too. Like if you put yes. them side by side with the video games, a lot of the fatalities were, you know, very clearly inspired by the source material, and they were. I think that's what made me happy about this movie is like, okay, so I watched the 95 version to prepare at your recommendation. <laughs> and I, oh my God, it was one of those movies that's so bad that I enjoyed it. Like, because especially I feel like with 90s movies in particular, if you like didn't grow up with them and there was no nostalgia factor, you can go back and watch them and be like, and it won't hit you the same way. Right. But like, I felt like that movie would have been even more entertaining if, and I understand why at the time they didn't lean into it because, you know, at the time leaning into blood and gore, it's hard to get that kind of box office success that we can right. see now, like thanks to movies like Deadpool and, you know, a bunch of other rated R movies that are just graphic as hell. Um, but I, I really do feel like that by leaning into that, they made it way more likely that it's going to be a successful movie franchise and, and produce sequels by just like embracing that and being like, yes, this, that is what Mortal Kombat is. We're not going for PG-13. We're going R and it's going to be all the way R. Yeah. It's a hard R. And, <laughs> and it, it's funny because um, you see this like in the horror community a lot, whenever there's a new movie announced, uh, like one of the big ones recently was like the, the happy, happy death day movies. Mm -hmm. Um they're pg-13 and whenever a movie is announced as pg-13 you see all these people complain about like ah oh, like you can't make a good horror movie pg-13 which isn't true right you don't need like despite the fact that i watch a ton of bloody gory movies you don't need that <laughs> to make your movie good but if there ever was a movie that did need that it was <laughs> mortal Kombat, uh, and so that is what they they got right like no matter what you say about the story building or the characters, their arc, the plot, whatever. Like you can't deny that like the effects and the gore in this movie um, is awesome. And it it really pulls straight from Mortal Kombat. Like uh, Liu Kang gets to do his animality yeah. of, of the dragon. And um, they did that in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, the 1997 sequel. Uh, and it is not good. <laughs> Okay, I have never seen a movie rated as low on IMDb, both by the fans and by like the Metascore, because I looked it up because I was like, oh shit, they made a sequel. Maybe I'll check that out. <laughs> it was like 3.7 stars out of 10 and the Metascore was like 11 out of 100. I don't think I've ever seen a Metascore that low. Uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is not great, but it's it's not <laughs> as, I don't think it's quite as bad as the, As all uh, that. Yeah, so I was actually Mortal Kombat Annihilation. If you do watch it, you can. It's first of all only one of the cast members from original the Mortal '95 movie came back. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> so, which is kind of kind of telling. Um, but it, it is it's a super '90s sequel where like you can clearly tell they're like, okay, we made this movie Mortal Kombat. Uh, it was successful. Like the '95 movie was really good at the box office. It made a lot of money, so the studio was like, we'll do another one. Uh, and just like, how can we make it the cheapest way possible? <laughs> and so they just have all these basic things that sort of reference the movie and like super cheesy dialogue. But it, it's to the point where Mortal Kombat Annihilation like was released as an unfinished movie. Like the director, the effects were really, really bad. Um, but that's partly because they had their initial cut that they were showing to the studio, the unfinished cut. And they're like, this is where we're at. We haven't finished yet. And they're like, that's good enough. Like, we don't need to finish those effects. Just oh, we'll no. save the money. Dumb kids aren't going to care. They're going to go see it anyways, and we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> oh, no. it, it wouldn't have saved the movie if the effects were finished because uh, that one really does have, like, really bad story and really bad dialogue. And, <laughs> uh, but it would have been a lot better than uh, what it is. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, to be fair, like, the new one... I saw a lot of people saying it had cheesy dialogue. There were a couple of cheesy lines, but I thought by and large, and maybe it's just because I had watched the 95 version like hours before. Um, and obviously, you know, comparing a movie from 95 to 2020 is, I mean, those are just completely different time periods. Like so much has evolved yeah. in the art of movie making <laughs> since then. Um, but I really didn't think there was too much cheesy dialogue. And I thought most of the cheese was 
you know, directed at fans of the video game. So they were going to be cool with it anyway. Uh, yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, they obviously had like uh, Kano um, yeah. is like pushed as the com- comedic effect. And so mm-hmm. there was a couple, like you might've been like, there might've been a few lines. So I was like, ah, maybe they didn't need to say that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I-, I thought it was a pretty good balance um, between like uh, taking it serious, but not taking it too seriously. Like I, I loved when Sonia, she's explaining everything to Cole about like, this is what is going on with Mortal Kombat. Mm. And he's like, this is stupid. They didn't even spell it right. <laughs> like he's pointing out how stupid the whole thing is. So there's this good mix where some characters are taking it very serious and the other characters like, this doesn't make any sense because they they live in the real world. Uh, but that whole thing about people complaining about like some movies being too cheesy, that mm. happens all the time. Like people say that about like any new Star Wars movie. They're like, there's too many jokes. Yeah, but like in the true. original Star Wars, there's lots of jokes. Like, mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I feel like that's just the thing. Like people always go in with expectations that everything uh, that like cheese is a bad thing, uh, but it went not necessarily. Yeah. It's especially when, you know, you're not coming here for witty dialogue or for groundbreaking right. plot. You're coming here for the final fight, Scorpion versus Sub-Zero, which was pretty fucking phenomenal. I have to say like that was. Really yeah. Good. And. It, it also worked in a bunch of cool references like to mm-hmm. the game like you can see like if you've played the game like you know where the ending was going mm-hmm. with what how scorpion was going to finish him yeah <laughs> um, but it, it didn't matter that you knew that it was going there because that's where you wanted it to go <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so i am i'm very excited for them to kind of build this out a little bit um i I'm, i do have a question for you or kind of two favorite character from mortal kombat and character you you're most excited to see appear in the next movie maybe oh johnny cage for sure like that okay. answers both That's questions <laughs> okay there we go knocked them both oh. out i figured it would be johnny cage i was i was a little bummed uh katana didn't make the cut in this one but um yeah i, I feel like johnny cage has to be in the next one obviously and obviously the yeah. ending shows that he's yeah. gonna be in it so <laughs> yeah they set it up for him yeah johnny cage is like the perfect character for me to love because he's like a he's modeled after Jean-Claude Van Damme and like I right. love Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and he's named after Nicolas Cage who I also love so it's perfect <laughs> oh, it's perfect <laughs> so yeah. you're gonna be very excited for the sequel um yeah so and which we're definitely of... getting I think oh yeah uh, I don't think it's been officially announced but I just checked and it, it's um I don't know what the HP I don't know how they like judge HBO Max numbers but it's already made 50 million at the box office worldwide oh, and wow. it only costs 50 million to make I think so uh, they should be, I would imagine that sequel is going to be starting very soon. Right. And that's during a pandemic too. So yeah. that's yeah. impressive. Um, what would you give this movie your, your final score out of 10? Uh, I gave it on Letterboxd. I think I gave it three and a half stars. So that would be six out of 10. Uh, wait, three and a half or so the seven? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. oh out, seven. Of, out of, no, wait, was it yeah. out of four stars or out of five no, stars? It was out of five. Yeah. So, yeah, I okay. guess I guess seven out of 10, then I would say I loved it. Like, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was super bloody. It was super gory. Uh, I didn't have any complaints about, like, like all I need them, I just need them to fight. Like, right. Mortal Kombat, so. <laughs> exactly. You yeah, got guess, exactly what you came for. Right. I guess the one complaint is we didn't actually get a tournament, but that's fine. Yeah. I was a little. So I, I was thinking about that right before Sub-Zero and Scorpion faced off. And I was like, aren't they running out of time? Like, when's the actual tournament going to be? <laughs> and then like halfway through the fight, I was like, this is epic. This is like, this is final confrontation type stuff. So I don't think we're getting it. And that's totally fine because what I'm watching is awesome. Um, and I think that'll be a good draw for the second one is if they actually do have a tournament of some type. Um because then we'll get to see even more of these face-offs. But I'm, I'm with you for my for my G rating. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as well. Um, I thought it was exactly what it promised to be. Nothing more, nothing less. And what it promised was just awesome. There was a lot of, like, the action was really well done. Um, so I was, I was happy with that. But uh, Chris, thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Tell the people where they can read your work, where they can follow you on Twitter, Go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug. Uh, yeah, so you can follow me at Twitter, uh, Chris underscore Koffel. Um, 
and then I write uh, primarily at film school rejects uh, these days, which I do have a piece that went up uh, like a week ago on the 1995 Mortal Kombat. So you can check nice. that out. <laughs> um, and then I, I occasionally pop up at Bloody Disgusting. And, uh, and also there's also a new website called Council of Zoom. So you can just search for that on Twitter. And uh, I do some stuff there as well. Um, one quick thing I do want to share with you, though, about when I was writing about the 1995 Mortal Kombat. Um, mm. So basically, the, I have an article, a regular article at Film School Rejects called um, uh, They Said What? And it, basically, I just look back at the critical response to a movie when it was released and how it's okay. changed over the years. So, right. So I look back at what people said about Mortal Kombat in 95 and then what people have been saying about it, you know, in the last 10 years or so, basically. Uh, and so as we talked about, you know, the new Mortal Kombat gave us all the gore and stuff that we wanted, which the original one did not have. Uh, however, there is a review. Um, it was from a newspaper called The Desert News. And the review ended by saying, uh, like Waterworld, Mortal Kombat also pushes the boundaries of the PG-13 rating for violence with a surprising <laughs> amount of gore and death. There is also some profanity. Oh, no. uh, and I, I just watched that movie. I don't know if there's any profanity, but the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I think Suns fans will enjoy it. Uh, the newspaper that was written in is called The Desert News, mm -hmm. and that is the longest running newspaper published in Salt Lake City. So, <laughs> yes. uh, of course, uh, Utah <laughs> would think that a movie with no profanity had too much profanity. <laughs> Oh man, we're talking about Mortal Kombat, but it wouldn't be a Suns podcast without getting one jazz dig in there. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, perfect send off. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining the show. Make sure you guys all follow him on Twitter. Check out his work. I am probably going to read that 95 Mortal Kombat article that you wrote because I'm now I'm curious. Um, but next up, we're going to do the finale for Invincible, which is a great show on Amazon. Uh, the first seven episodes are on there and the finale will be on Thursday night. So we'll have that for Friday's pod. But thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Write me a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And until next time, this is Joe Borgay signing off.